We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Hello? We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. As of right now, Deshaun Watson is still a member of the Houston Texans, but there is a belief, a good chance, I would say, if that is not the case by the time the November 2nd trade deadline rolls around. I'm told that the Houston Texans have been engaged with multiple teams. I know there was a report last week about the Miami Dolphins. The Dolphins do have some interest. Obviously, there has been some dialogue with the Houston Texans, but they are not alone. Another team to watch, the Carolina Panthers. They have not been shy about making a trade. As GM Scott Fitter once said, they want to be in every trade. I would expect them uh, to have conversations as well. There may be other teams. The Eagles have been another team that have been rumored uh, to be interested in Deshaun Watson. And, of course, there are several other factors. His legal situation is, as yet, right now, unresolved. Uh, that is another factor to consider, and we should also add, if a team does trade for Deshaun Watson, who's in good shape and ready to play right now, the indications from the NFL is that he would not be placed on the commissioner's exempt list, because that is uh, essentially if you have been charged with a violent crime or a felony that does not appear right now to apply to Deshaun Watson, so the belief is he would be eligible to play immediately upon trade. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the AFC East Roundup Podcast. I'm your host, Bill season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And that was Ian Rappaport of NFL Network talking about the Deshaun Watson situation in Miami. Wow, how this season has changed in South Beach. It's getting heavy. You only have one win. Don't want to blame the coach, so you blame the quarterback. Who's Don't been- want to blame anybody. 
anybody. You want to blame the quarterback who's been kind of good the last two weeks? Uh, it's a crazy situation, and we take a we start as we do every week with a look at the standings. In the AFC East, the Bills sit at four and two, the Patriots at three and four, the Jets at one and five, and the Dolphins at one and six. For the Bills, they're still leading the division, but only by a single game. The Bills are going to go back to work here this week with just their second divisional game of the season, looking to maintain breathing room between themselves and the New England Patriots. The Patriots, by virtue of a mediocre schedule and a ball control style of play that keeps them in a lot of games that they maybe don't even belong in, they're just one game back and looking to expand on their three-win total in the coming weeks, fresh off of just a bloodletting against the New York Jets. Now, the Jets... Everything everything that looked good has gone south. Seemingly everyone that was working is now broken, both schematically and physically. And like New Jersey itself, most of what they have going on smells like hot garbage. I've had it with this dump. We got no food. We got no jobs. Our pets' heads are falling off. And yet somehow they're still not considered the biggest mess in the AFC East in 2021 because of the Dolphins. Miami has now lost six consecutive games. They're nearing the brink of mathematical playoff elimination faster than any other AFC team. And they lead the division in points allowed on defense. And yet somehow, Chris, trading for a new quarterback is supposed to solve all their problems? Ah, we start off with the Miami Dolphins. We have Noel Fartiaga. He actually sat in on, uh, if you download every one of our podcasts, you heard him yesterday on our preview show. The Miami Dolphins lost a heartbreaker to the Falcons, 30-28. to Now, go listen. Again, I will implore you. Go listen to 3-Yard Per Carry's recap show. They do a phenomenal job breaking down what was a close loss. And yet, if you're looking at more than just box scores, it might have been Tua's best game as an NFL quarterback. They fought back to secure the lead late, showing a a level of fight that was badly lacking in offense over the first month. I just... Their team did everything you could have asked them to do short of, I don't know, playing defense, the thing their coach was supposed to be known for. They, they, Chris, the most damning thing I see is that Kyle Pitts. Remember when everyone was talking about Kyle Pitts in the draft? He's going to change the league. Change the league. He's a dumb. What you find out is that kids coming out of college just don't acclimate well to NFL physicality. Most of them just do not. Now, Jamar Chase, nah, he doesn't have any problems. Well, he did have a problem catching the football in preseason. In preseason. How's that working out for everybody now? Thank you for sleeping on him because he's the reason that I was able to pick him in the eighth round of our fantasy draft. And now I have Cooper Cup, Jamar Chase, Kelvin Ridley, uh, Emmanuel Sanders, Henry Ruggs, and Antonio Brown all as my wide receivers. Thank you for not catching the ball in the preseason. But with that said, like, Kyle Pitts was supposed to change the Atlanta attack. He was supposed to be the Julio Jones replacement. And up to this point in his career, he hasn't been that player. Then he has 163 yards and a crucial catch down the stretch to secure the game-winning field goal. (sighs) But, you know, that's Tua's fault, right? Yeah. It is. 
it's it's just everything's a quarterback's fault. It's infuriating to me that Dolphins fans even have to have this conversation because their offense did the thing. They went out, they secured the lead late. Some late game heroics. Their quarterback throws the ball around. I mean, no, no, he's not using their wide receivers because he has no chemistry with any of them. But with tight ends and running backs, he's operating an offense that could score 28 points against a bad football team. That should get you a win, right? Yes. If you're the Miami Dolphins who spent all the money and spent all the draft capital and did all the things that you did, and instead you somehow lose on, I just learned this, I thought his name was Young Ho. Young Hoku, and they go, no, it's Young Wei. Young Wei? What? I don't. I don't. Because I just kept hearing the announcer say Young Hoku. Because I'm watching the end of that game, going, "There's no way that Atlanta's going to come back and win this thing." That game has to shut up everybody who thinks that Tua can't play in the NFL or isn't an effective NFL quarterback who can't win in this league needs to be replaced. I mean, I guess at least outside the fan base, that should shut everybody up, but it won't. And the scary thing is that inside the franchise where it matters, I don't know that people are going to listen. It's a terrifying prospect when you think about where the Dolphins are right now. I mean, you know who the Dolphins are? Who? They are the Buffalo Sabres of the NFL. They did a rebuild and it didn't work or has not worked. But they're just going to keep doubling down on it? Yeah. Oh, God. I mean, you go back to that three yards per carry show that I'm telling you you have to go listen to. Chris Kaufman has this epic podcast point. I mean, they talk about the fans in every poll out there are largely in favor, not even of Tua as the quarterback of their team, right? Nobody's saying Tua is the future. They're just saying we don't want our quarterback to be someone who... Or we want a quarterback who isn't potentially a sexual predator that's going to face actual jail time for these alleged transgressions. Here's the thing, and I need you to go listen to it from Chris's mouth, not mine, because he's way more... Art- I mean, Chris, I'm what? How many beers deep? Seven. Okay. Seven beers deep. I can't be as articulate as Chris Kaufman from Three Yards Per Carry, but what I'll say is this. He makes a great point in that when people disagree with a trade, Chris, people talk about trading versus keeping Jack Eichel still. That's still a conversation that's happening. People are like, oh, I hope the team looks good. Maybe we could keep Jack. No, you have to trade him. No, but here's the thing. Even that's a debate, right? Usually the fan base feels a certain way unanimously. Or if they don't, it's because it's such a minuscule issue that it doesn't really matter. <sighs> they, they broke down the polls that local media outlets and themselves have ran. And through thousands and thousands and thousands of fan interactions, the overwhelming attitude is that people don't want Deshaun Watson on their team, not even because of the X's and O's of football. Not because they're afraid of what they're going to give up as a franchise, but because of who he is and what he's been accused of. And I can I can feel some of that. You know, th- there were Steelers fans who were really upset with all the Ben Roethlisberger stuff that came out years ago, right? He goes on and wins the Super Bowl. Nobody cares about that anymore. But 
I don't know that they don't, right? It just doesn't get talked about as much. The problem with the Miami franchise right now is that if you make a trade of that magnitude and it was and the fans didn't like it because they were afraid of the trade value, because they were afraid of what you were giving up, because they didn't like the X's and O's of it, you can that's something you can change by winning football games. What you can't change by winning football games is when people revile the man. Just the man off the field. When they think that he is not the quarterback that they want representing their franchise because of who he is away from football. You can't fix that. No amount of winning on the football field, whatever happens on the scoreboard is going to be painfully irrelevant when it comes down to a franchise saying, look, we'd rather sell our soul for victory and we don't care what you think. And this is a dang, like it's a dangerous road for the franchise as a whole to walk. Not only because it won't solve your problems. I mean, we talked about it in our preview show with El Fartiago last night that this that aired last night that two was not the problem. He hasn't been the problem. The problem is you have a coach who's supposed to be a defensive guru who's overseeing one of the worst defenses in football. It's it's absurd. And yet, I look at Coach Charlie Fry admitted to the media that the chatter surrounding the Watson trade and the team's feelings about him are starting to wear on Tua. As it would any person. I mean, Chris, I have an analogy for you. You just started working a new job. Yeah, in it less than a year. Okay. How many months in are you? Uh, really, what are we in October? Nine months, really? Okay. So what if at the eight-month mark, last month, all of a sudden they started like talking about somebody else, somebody else doing your job. And then they started talking about, well, we've got a guy on second shift who can come in here and do Chris's job better than him. He's looking for a shift differential. Maybe we'll move him. But they're all, but they're doing this with an earshot of you, maybe even right in front of you. They're saying, "Look, we think he, we we think that he drives the wagon better than Chris. We think he's faster. We think he's uh, less emotional." Now, I don't know how that would work because you're basically you're like me. You're dead inside. Yes. But in front of you, they had these conversations where you could see him. And then you heard rumblings around the factory. They're like, hey, they're holding tryouts for your job. And you went to your boss and said, hey, what's the deal with this? And your boss didn't immediately shut it down. How would you feel and what would happen to your production? Just because you're I mean, you're a human being, right? I'd go to the union because I got union backing. That's what okay. I would do. But without that, would that or would that not affect the way you do your job? It would. Okay. Just the- knowing that in the back of my head. So... The NFL is not that much different. Yes, it's a a pressure cooker, and it's built for people who can handle that. But also, when when it's coming from your own kin, like when it's not from the outside, when it's actually from your organization where you're hearing, the owner says this, and the owner wants that, and this happens, and that happens, and your coach won't squash it, and your owner won't squash the talk of you being traded, or them trading for somebody to do your job. It's, there's been no heavy-handed vote of confidence from the staff, the front office, or the ownership. 
Here we thought the Jets were the most dysfunctional franchise in the AFC East. But at this point, we need to start taking a hard look at the brass of the Dolphins. Because not only are they by record one of the AFC's worst teams, but week over week, their handling of their roster and what's going on with this situation, that literally the Chris quarterback is the most important spot on your team, right? It is. Okay. They're mishandling the most important part of a football team. It's it's quickly becoming something that borders on unforgivable. And if they continue to hemorrhage points and just hemorrhage losses, I don't know how anyone on their side of the fence survives this. And so that brings us to the New York Jets, who just lost 54 to 18 to the Patriots. You know, Scott, I've I've had a lot of fun on this podcast talking to you about the state of the New York Jets. This season, like last year, when we started this podcast and I brought you on every week and you came in here like a like a like a good soldier, like you came in here, you soldiered up and you took kind of a we all took the hilarious road towards like, hey, let's make fun of this football team or let's have jokes because there's not much else to talk about. At this point, it's almost it's it's not as can I say this? It's not as funny anymore. Now I'm genuinely concerned, not just because, hey, things are going poorly in New Jersey, but also because you have more injuries. You have more players who you guys were planning on being building blocks to the future, leaving the field for unspecified amounts of time. There's a disaster brewing here, it feels like. Well... The thing that's the most concerning to me is that going into the season, and we've had many chats about this, the four things that I really was looking for, and I didn't think they were that much to ask. I figured they'd be, you know, four or five win team. I wasn't expecting a lot there. But I wanted four things. I wanted an entertaining offense, a team that at least competes at a reasonable level, and I wanted to go into 2022 thinking, okay, the Jets got it right at quarterback, and they got it right head coach. Now, that this may change because we've still got, what, 11 games left to play of this season the Jets mm-hmm. have? But right now they're 0 for 4, and that's not good. They're not trending in the right direction. Wilson took a step back in that Falcons game. He actually was better in this game before he got hurt, but now he's going to miss time. Robert Sala, I hate to say, is not look good early on. Now, again, only six games. And I know you've talked about how McDermott, it took him some time to figure it out. So that certainly could be the case. But it's tough because this team is very much unwatchable at the moment. And with Wilson out, it's going to make it much harder. And if you'd like, I can opine about the stopgap solution that the Jets decided to take at quarterback because there's a lot to say about that and the process behind it. But Wilson was the main reason that people were going to be tuning in, especially with this poor record, was to watch him and hope that he would continue to evolve and get better and, and end the season, like I said, as the guy where you could say, okay, the Jets got it right, and now that's paused, and, well, now we know who we're going to watch. And it's an old, familiar face. I, I can't believe with – with the Jets trading for Joe Flacco. Let me say this again. Chris, the Jets traded for Joe Flacco. They gave something of value for Joe 
Flacco. A player was on the roster last year. What? What? what, what? When I saw it, I thought it was a lie. I thought it was a snarky tweet that, like, I, I was looking for the Babylon Bee or the Onion, or I was looking. <laughs> and, and no, no, it's real life. It's real life that the New York Jets just said, you know what we have to have to get us out of this slump or out of this hole? We've got to have us some Joe Flacco. And I don't know what ever could have given them any kind of confidence in the man. I mean, when you look at what he did for you guys last season when he took over for injured Sam Darnold, what, he almost won you a Monday Night Football game against the Patriots where he threw an interception and essentially just like shrugged his shoulders and walked off the field. And that was the game-winning drive. He handed the game-winning drive to the Patriots and he just didn't give a single shit. And now he's back and I'm sure he gives fewer shits. He's just here to cash a few more. What, Chris, at this point, what, what could he possibly be making? A million dollars a year? Has to be. A million. Maybe okay. two. Okay. I don't know what the Eagles had him on contract for. So he's literally just here cashing whatever checks he can before he disappears into obscurity. And now he's found his way like a bad penny back to your franchise. What's been the fan base's reception to that? Oh, it hasn't been great, but I'll see this. There's multiple <laughs> levels to this. We'll start with the actual move. Now... Everything you just said is not incorrect, but I don't hate getting Flacco back because, quite frankly, they needed a veteran who is capable of running the offense at a at least respectable level because you've got one of the youngest rosters in the entire NFL, particularly on offense, and you need somebody who can at least be good enough to give the young players an opportunity to show you what they can do. And with Mike White, I don't think that was going to happen. So Flacco being here, I think, is certainly a good idea, or at least just, you know, whether it's Flacco or somebody else, a veteran who is capable. Because you want to avoid what I like to call, and you guys will understand what I mean, the NPP, the Nathan Peterman problem. Because if you have a quarterback out there like Nathan Peterman, who's so bad, he basically renders the entire offense useless, now how do you know what you have with Elijah Moore and Denzel Mims and Michael Carter and so on and so forth? So I'm all for getting the veteran quarterback, but here's where this becomes a massive failure in a lot of different ways. Chris Nimbley of JetsInsider.com was on the show this week, and I, I love the way that he described it. He said, this was a process failure from start to finish, and here's what I mean. So everybody and their mother knew the Jets should have signed a veteran quarterback in the offseason because if anything happened to Zach Wilson, you wanted to be in a position, like I said, to have a guy who's at least good enough to allow you to reasonably evaluate the young players on the roster and not be an impediment to that, right? And yeah, there were some people that said, you want a veteran who the young quarterback can lean on in the locker room and learn from. I mean, sure, I guess. But the other thing to me makes more sense. But see, here's the problem. The Jets insisted over and over again, Mike White's fine. We like Mike White. We're developing Mike White. Mike White's going to be the backup quarterback. Okay, fine. They also kept Josh Johnson on the practice squad, who has had a cup of coffee with almost every team in the NFL at this point, but never really played much in the way of meaningful snaps. Okay, no problem. Here's where this gets to be insanely ridiculous. As soon as Zach Wilson gets hurt, they go out and make this move for Flacco. 
So that what that tells me is all that stuff they said about Mike White was nonsense from the beginning. They never believed in him. So if that's the case, what's he doing on the roster as a backup? And why didn't you sign a capable backup? Because now you had to give up a draft pick to rectify a mistake that you never should have made in the first place. Then you look at Josh Johnson and you say, okay, the idea was you needed the veteran just in case. Well, if you're not going to Josh Johnson, what are you bothering with him on the practice squad for? Because if you're going to have a quarterback in the practice squad, you think you'd want a younger quarterback who might have some upside, right? Which is not Josh Johnson. And then you get to the next part of it, which is that not only could they have had Flacco months ago for nothing, not only does it make no sense that they kept Mike White all this time when they were never going to use him, not only does it make no sense that Josh Johnson was sitting on the practice squad when he wasn't going to ever come in, but now you get Flacco and he can't even play right away because he has to be brought up to speed, so Mike White has to play anyway, and so now the Jets have two games in 10 days. I assume he'll be ready to play by the time they play the Indianapolis Colts Thursday, but I couldn't tell you that for sure. So it's very possible that by the time Flacco actually gets in the game, Wilson will only miss a week or two. And granted, and I brought this point up too, uh, it's still good to have Flacco because Wilson could get hurt again and you still want insurance against that. But all of this just makes no sense from top to bottom. And essentially what this tells me is that Joe Douglas, Robert Sala, Mike LaFleur, all the key decision makers with the Jets had no plan and basically decided we're just going to go with Zach Wilson. They fed everybody a line of BS about the other quarterbacks and just assumed, oh, well, Wilson will be fine. But you know how this is, guys. It's the NFL. This is a collision sport. Anybody can get hurt on any play, and especially at the most important position on the field, you got to have some sort of contingency plan, and they didn't. And the people that say, oh, well, who cares? They're not going to win anyway, or what does it matter if they win games? Again, it's not really about how many games they win. It's about, I want to see what Elijah Moore can do. I want to see yes. what Denzel Mims can do. I want to see what Michael Carter can do. And he can't really do that if you have a quarterback who is completely out of his depth. And let's be real, even though Mike White played better than we expected when he came in in relief, A, he was playing against the prevent defense, and B, he was doing very little in terms of just you know little short passes and easy stuff. That's going to be a really tough task once you start getting in there and starting games and teams actually are gunning for you. Go ask so Davis Mills. There, you, go ask Davis Mills how that works out. Right. Uh, and and I Davis would Mills had a great Mike, Thursday night. He had, he had a promising looking quarter and a half against the Carolina Panthers right. on Thursday night football. And then he got shut out. Right. And Buffalo. I would argue that Davis Mills is probably significantly, significantly more talented than Mike White anyway. So that just booster, uh, bolsters the point that you're making, Drew. So that's where this becomes really frustrating because they could have just signed Flacco or some other respectable veteran months ago, and then they wouldn't be going through this. They wouldn't have had to make a trade. They wouldn't have had to try and lie to everybody about Mike White and Josh Johnson, who they kept on the roster for, or I should say uh, White was kept on the roster for no reason and Johnson kept on the practice squad for no reason. And they wouldn't have this situation now where they trade for a veteran and he's not even going to be ready yet. So. It's just bad. And look, I mean, I'm not trying to dump on Joe Douglas, but this has to be laid at his feet because even if Robert Sala is like, oh, we don't need an established backup. Well, clearly Joe Douglas was always going to go and do this if push came to shove. 
So if he wasn't comfortable with it, he needed to sit down with Salah and be like, look, we if you want to keep White on the practice squad and develop him, cool. But I'm not comfortable with you not having a guy with experience. So I'm not going to tell you who to get. You can get whoever you want. I'll leave that to you. But you've got to get somebody in here who has experience. I'm not, I'm not too keen on all this hate about Mike White. I don't see what the big deal was. He's, he was great in School of Rock. <laughs> I hate you. I, this is this is why this is why we have like a guest fueled show. Ned Schneebly, <laughs> he was fantastic in School of Rock. So, so this is what I know. We talked about at the top of the show just the philosophical nature of this week's AFC's roundup. How some of the teams in our division are facing some real philosophical dilemmas, including our own, and. You guys are there in the middle of it. I mean, what happened on the field this past week it pales in comparison to what's happening around you and how the fan base is reacting to it. It's crazy that you guys are in this position, and it does. I think the most damning thing for me, as an outsider who's watching this, is that you're still in... I mean, when Brandon Bean makes a mistake, Chris, Bill's fans complain about it. You complain about it. Uh, look at Quentin Spain. Perfect example. We signed Quentin Spain off the Titans scrap heap. He comes here. He has a great year. We signed him to a three-year deal. Our GM is hell-bent on looking, look, we traded up for Cody Ford. He needs every opportunity to play. So they bench Quentin Spain to get Cody Ford on the field, and Quentin Spain doesn't play the good soldier. He says, look, I want the fuck out of here if you're not willing to give me playing time. So we cut him, and he ends up on the Bengals, and we all laugh at him last year. Right now, Quentin Spain is one of the better offensive linemen for the Bengals. Like that's there's no denying that. It's about getting opportunity, and that's a that's a mistake by our GM. But he's made so many stellar moves that I can't argue with that one miss. When I look at the Jets, I understand a little bit of what's going on within your fan base because I see this and I go. Joe Douglas hasn't hit enough home runs yet in order to, I don't know, make this kind of, make these kinds of mistakes right. and have it right. not held against him. And in that way, I'm sure there's a lot of Jets fans right now who are sort of trying to figure out what what is the plan here. I mean, is that a fair assessment of things? Yeah, and it's so frustrating because I mentioned this in the post-game show that I did with Andy Vasquez from NorthJersey.com. Being a Jets fan right now, it feels like being Bill Murray's character in Groundhog Day because no matter what happens, you wake up and the day is the same as the day before. How many times have we been talking about rooting for draft picks or they've got this young guy or that young guy or this free agent, and no matter what, the results end up the same. The team still performs terribly and you think okay they got this new gm or this new coach or this new quarterback and no matter what it is it is always the same story so it becomes frustrating because you look at it and tankathon says that the jets right now if the season were to end would have the fourth and the eighth picks in the draft right they'd have the fourth which would be their own and the eighth which would be seattle's thank you jamal adams and thank you geno smith right hilarious so yeah, to me, that, that trade may go down as an all-timer. But the, the point I'm making is, like, how excited am I supposed to get about those draft picks 
when every time I get excited about draft picks, it ends up in with the same result. No matter how good or bad that player is, the Jets wind up not being good. So it's just really tough. And then, like you said, you look around and Joe Douglas, who everybody will say, in Joe we trust, in Joe we try all this stuff. I've said this many times. There's been some promising signs from Joe Douglas, but as you said, Drew, you put it well, he hasn't hit enough home runs yet for me to sit here and say, oh yeah, Joe Douglas, this this dude is, like people are acting as if he's the second coming of Bill Polian. You guys know well, Bill Polian's a guy, I don't know how he would do in today's NFL, but he built three successful franchises, right? He did it with the Bills, he did it with the Panthers, he did it with the Colts. So if he made a mistake or two, you'd be like, okay, Bill Polian is somebody that can get cut some slack because of his track record. Joe Douglas, whenever somebody says, oh, I have to trust Joe Douglas, I have to trust Joe Douglas, I want to trust Joe Douglas, but he hasn't earned that blank check from me yet. So, yeah, there are moves where, like the Jamal Adams trade, you're like, wow, that was an amazing trade. But then some of these other moves, it's TBD. Look, I love Makai Becton, but the guy has missed a lot of games. And the guy that went the pick after him is Tristan Wirfs, who has turned into one of the best tackles in the league. So it's conceivable that two or three years from now, we look at this and go, man, we all love Becton, but maybe Joe Douglas made a mistake, right? Denzel Mims. I love Denzel Mims, but the coaching staff doesn't even seem interested in playing him. So who knows what happens there? And you could go on and on down the line with, with the various moves that he's made. Some have worked out, some haven't, but he hasn't earned that type of trust yet the way that a Brandon Bean has or the way that, like I said, like Polian or even Chris Ballard in Indianapolis. You could go through a variety of names. And it's just frustrating right now because you have two Jets factions, Jets fan factions, I, I guess, and I try to be in the middle. One of them is sort of like, oh, everybody's bad and everything stinks. And then you got the people on the other end who try to wear rose-colored glasses all the time. I try to sit in the middle and say, okay, everything doesn't have to be you know, stepping in a pile of dog crap. But at the same time, uh, you know, I'm not going to pee on you and tell you it's raining. So there's got to be some level of reality and realness to the way fans are approaching this. And the reality is there's some promising talent on the roster, but we still have major questions about a lot of the key decisions that were made by the GM. And we still have a lot of questions about the quarterback that was picked number two and the coach that was just hired. And that doesn't mean that those questions can't be answered in positive ways down the line but what it does mean is that we can't sit here and lie to ourselves and say that these things are fixed and there's you know a definite solution because there isn't nope and it's you know there's a Jets uh, content creator out there who said uh, what was it Elijah Moore was going to have 100 yards and two touchdowns and you and I laughed together and we were like what based on what you talk about rose colored glasses I get it every fan base has them it's just I feel like there's almost too few of those for the Jets because they see what this is. I genuinely feel bad about the direction of things because, <clears throat> to your point, everyone wanted to believe that this was the solution. Energetic young coach, energetic GM, GM who seems to have an eye for talent, and now you're seeing this play out and it's not exactly what you would have liked. Hopefully things pick up at some point. I don't know how it's going to, especially not if Joe Flacco ever actually takes snaps. Chris, I will say one thing, though, before I let you guys continue. 
the one positive, and I was joking with the Thunder from Down Under, Luke Grant, about this. Joe Flacco had really good chemistry with Denzel Mims. So I'm hoping, against hope, that somehow the coaching staff looks at the tape of Flacco from last year and goes, maybe we should put Mims on the field more. If that happens as a result of this trade, then it's totally worth it. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, that's it. Like, at this point, you're talking about evaluation. Maybe this move gives them the time to evaluate Denzel Mims, who it seems like they don't value at all. Chris, would you take Denzel Mims next year? Uh, For a throwaway pick in a trade? I don't know. Depends on what happens with our receiving core. What we doing with Emmanuel Sanders and Beasley, Cole Beasley? And, 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 no, I'd take a flyer on a Denzel Mims. And listen, if you guys don't want him, Scott, be, I, we'd be, I know some people who would take him off your hands. You know what I mean? I'm just, I'm just saying. Listen, we want him. It's just does the coaching staff of the team want him is the question. And we're still trying to figure out whose wife he slept with because we absolutely cannot understand why a guy who's 6'3", 215 pounds, runs a sub-440 and has made quite a few excellent catches when given the opportunity, why that guy isn't giving, being given chances with a team that is scoring zero points the entire year in the first quarter. I'm not kidding, Drew. 44 to nothing, they've been outscored in the first quarter this year. And they're averaging about three points a game in the first half. Now, I would think that if you're an offensive coordinator, that you would look at that and say, gee, what could I do different? What do I have here that might help me? And go, gee, there's this guy, 6'3", 215, runs a sub 440, good hands, physical guy. Maybe I'll try getting him on the field more, but apparently I'm not Mike LaFleur-level genius. I don't know. (laughs) We joked about him in uh, our podcast earlier this week. I feel for you. I feel for you, man. Where can people find your work on social media and where can they find your upcoming work on the podcast? Well, you can find me on social media at play like a jet one. You can probably find me uh, at a uh, suicide prevention hotline near you at some point. (laughs) You know what? I shouldn't even make a joke like that because that's a serious subject. But yes, this has been a rough stretch. Oh, really a rough decade. Let's be honest for Jets fans. But uh, we're going to start doing some more draft-based content. I hate that I have to do that again, but if we're being real, that's what we're getting towards where Jets fans are going to want to listen to that. So I'm working on putting some of that together. Uh, we're still doing the, the Zach Wilson breakdowns when he plays. So it's funny because Tim Jenkins comes on every week to break down Wilson. He came on this week for the last time in a little bit because until Wilson comes back, I mean, I'm not going to have him come on the show to break down Joe Flacco. No one needs that. So <laughs> we're going to continue to do that. Uh, Brian Bassett's got his show. There's always next year. We do the, the fun pregame reports with Chris Nimbley doing the over-unders and the prop bets. And then Walter Cherpinski, WalterFootball.com comes on and does uh, gives us his picks from around the league. So it'll help you make some money. Luke Grant comes on for some film stuff. So we, we have a, a pretty solid list of, of daily content for you available right now. Uh, again, you can get all the podcasts at Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and also uh, Apple, Spotify, whatever, all those places where you download podcasts. And so that brings us to our final guest of the night, Mr. Mike DeBate from Locked On Patriots, here to talk to us about the just, I don't even want to call it a win. It was a bloodletting. A 54-18 to 18 victory over the New York Jets. 
sitting here today, did you expect that kind of just an atrocity of a football game to take place? Did I expect that? No, I don't think anybody expected that, especially after the Patriots really like clawing tooth and nail just to be able to hang tight with the Houston Texans, who right now are one of the, the bottom you know feeders in the league. And I say that with no disrespect to their organization. It's just anybody, especially the Texans fans right now, know that this is just not their year. Uh, the Patriots have had their difficulty. You can't take anything for granted in this league, especially a divisional game. But Look, the Patriots knew they had to come out and make a statement. They knew they had to prove that they could put points on the board, and they knew they could prove that they could keep points from being put on the board against them. They've been a little bit better on defense being able to prove that point, but this was an offensive statement on Sunday, and they made it. Regardless of the quality of their opponent, they still put 50-plus points up against an NFL football team. So you got to be impressed by that. Now, you know what I'm impressed by? It was I got to give credit where credit's due. Mark Daniels, Mark Daniels, PJ on Twitter. The Patriots finished with 551 total yards. That's the most yards in the NFL since 2017 when the Patriots had 555 yards against New Orleans. Mm-hmm. It's the most yards in four years that anyone has ever seen. Like that, you demolished them. And do you view this as a statement game? I mean, because the theme of tonight's show, we're not so much talking about stats anymore. We're moving past that and we're talking about philosophy as far as where each franchise is. Does this game kind of put us. I know it's against the Jets, and I know Zach Wilson went out, and so his. Well, Belichick hates the Jets, so I think if well, as he should, he'll I mean, run the score up on the Jets any all, chance he can. First of all, Spygate. Second of all, they're from New Jersey. I mean, who doesn't hate New Jersey? In fact, <laughs> if we could take a vote, Chris, if we took a vote right now, quick Twitter poll, what's the most hateable state? How does New Jersey not end up in the top three? Florida might be up there. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? Florida's too wild to care. I mean, Florida man exists for a reason. Florida man don't care about what you think about him. But New Jersey, like New Jersey stinks and they made them look like they stink. And this is one of those things where he only he holds a grudge because of the whole Spygate thing. But also, this was a statement win for the Patriots, I think. And when you look at what it does for you philosophically, you've now swept a divisional opponent. Considering last year's poor showing within the division and in the NFL, that's one division foe down. What, five more AFC East games to go? Yeah, I mean, you take a look at that and you look at what the Patriots were able to uh, to accomplish, especially within the division. Yeah, I agree with you. I think this is a statement game for New England. And look, I know there's a lot of the national narrative right now that's pushing. It was the Jets. Uh, I saw in the power rankings earlier, and I don't, you know, I'm not going to mention any names because I don't do that. But there was one that particularly rubbed me a little the wrong way and saying, oh, well, New England is doing this against rookie quarterbacks, which means the next time they're going to get a victory is week 17 against Trevor Lawrence and the Jags. Well, look, let me tell you something. First of all, when you look at the significance of what the Patriots did, 54 to 13, that's a dismantling, again, of an NFL football team. When you do that, you can be excited about it. And this victory didn't automatically fault the Patriots into immediate playoff contention. Far from it. No one's saying that. But it did provide the necessary foundation for both their offensive and their defensive blueprint 
for the remainder of the season. And for all the stuff that you want to talk about, the Patriots beating up on rookie quarterbacks, last I checked, Mac Jones is a rookie quarterback himself. He's continuing to demonstrate that accuracy, that poise, that command of the offense, a lot more so than any of his peers right now as rookie quarterbacks. So when you look at how they're utilizing not only the multiple receiver, the multiple tight end sets, using play action to their advantage, complementing it with the running game. Damian Harris looked very good on Sunday, but the defensive front and that linebacking core is rounding into form, and those guys are really forming the backbone of what could be a very strong Patriots defense. So they're progressing and they're moving along. So in a lot of ways, that game was a statement that we're going to be able to beat up on lesser competition, and when the competition is higher, we're going to be able to hang with any team in the league right now. Maybe they won't come away with the victory, but they will stand toe-to-toe with any money that they have to face off against. Oh, and it's incredible to me. Like, Mac Jones, 12 incompletions. 36 attempts, 12 incompletions. That's not bad. That's nothing to sneeze at. His rating was one of the highest QBRs of the weekend. I, you just look at what he was able to accomplish. Two touchdowns, no picks. He took a sack, but it wasn't anything critical. It didn't kill you guys. And ultimately, he orchestrated a dismantling of an opponent. That not only helps his confidence, but it helps what, I guess, the rest of the offense's confidence in what this scheme is and what it can be capable of. Now, will it score 54 points every week? No. Probably not. Like that's, That's not reasonable. But at the same time, I look at some of these things and I say, okay, Kendrick Bourne, he doesn't touch the ball often. But when he does, it, it seems he seems like he's starting to emerge as a firecracker for your offense. He's a guy that if you can get him involved, he's involved in scoring plays. That's dynamic. Now defensive coordinators are going to have to start watching him and actually planning for what he has coming. Damian Harris putting on the show that he did, that to me is incredible because as a guy who's had him on multiple fantasy teams, I was starting to doubt whether or not he was the guy to carry the load. They put on a show. But even weeks past, when you see that, and then you look back at the weeks past, you go, okay, they played some stronger defenses with some good front sevens. He's at least middle of the pack. And if they can get healthier on the offensive line, that should improve. There's a lot of things. I know much to our listeners, Mike, you have no idea the shit that I took from Bills fans this week. No idea. Because last week I was very complimentary of the Patriots. Chris? Mark I don't remember was, that. Mark was livid. We literally finished the entire conversation talking about how New England, despite the early season narrative that the division was going to be a cakewalk for the Bills, that there might it might be somewhat in jeopardy if the Patriots can find a way to show that this offensive growth from week one to now is sustainable and that their defense doesn't suffer any catastrophic losses. So in terms of the sustainability of what they've done so far on offense, where do you think they are? In terms of where they are in offense, I mean, I would probably say right now middle of the pack, but in terms of what they're capable of and what you saw on Sunday and the fact that if they catch a defense at the right moment and be able to throw them off their guard, then again, this team can score points with anybody. One of the knocks right now on Mac Jones is that he's making ill-advised throws when he gets pressure on him. We talked a little bit about this the last time we uh, we spoke. Getting a pressure, getting a little bit in his face, instead of knowing when to take the sack or instinctively 
knowing when to throw it out of bounds, things that Tom Brady was so good at for years up here in New England. Max making rookie mistakes, and he's going to continue to make those because he is, in fact, a rookie. But when you look at what this kid can bring to the table and the poise that he's showing early on, it really is impressive. Uh, right now, Mac Jones is the only rookie quarterback with a PFF grade above 60 this season. That should tell you something. PFF doesn't hand those grades out haphazardly. You look at the accuracy, the ability to move the ball downfield, completing over 70% of his passes on Sunday, notched his first 300-yard game, plus 300-plus yard game. These are things that Patriots fans, Patriots media, most importantly, the team itself, can build on. And you hear the confidence in his teammates each and every week talking about how Mac is making strides and growing by leaps and bounds. Uh, again, this year for the New England Patriots, probably going to be more of a learning curve, and there will be moments that are difficult to watch, but there will be more good moments down the stretch for this team as they continue to round in the form. Now, obviously, Patriots fans are used to winning. Last year, to, the, to, to all of the Patriots fans that I interact with on social media, last year was an aberration. Ah, we don't lose. We're the Patriots. And I'd expect that from a team that just got to watch a 20-year dynasty. Like, Chris, if your team was good, like in the upper echelon of the NFL, good for 20 years, what would you do? I would be the world's biggest asshole. Yeah. No, we all would. I'd wear a toga everywhere. I'd be like, yeah, I don't even have underwear on under this thing. My team's great. Yeah, I just, don't have to. Just wait until the Bills <laughs> win the Super Bowl this year. Ugh. Are, are people in the Patriots media, because obviously fans up north, they're, they're accustomed to winning, and when they get a taste of it, they like to take it and run with it. Amongst your peers... In the Patriots meeting, yourself included, are these talks that you're having about the Patriots' fortunes moving forward? Wildcard hopes have to start creeping into that conversation and becoming legitimate like aspirations, right? Yeah, I think at this point you're looking at three and four. All of a sudden, it seems possible. And just a couple of weeks ago, you know, even dropping the game last week to uh, the Dallas Cowboys, there was still an era of. Two and four, it's difficult, but it's not impossible for this team to possibly rip off a run here and make the playoffs. Now, they're going to have some quality opponents coming up. There's no question about it. Uh, Cleveland continues to show that even though they're facing injury and difficulty, they can still pull runners uh, wherever they need to and be able to, to be effective. Um, this Sunday against the Chargers, you're facing a very good team on both sides of the ball. Uh, if the Patriots want to be successful, they need a little bit more, uh, you know, in the running game and really kind of build on what Damian Harris gave them against the Jets this week. But at the same time, those are two opponents back to back that they're going to need to be on their A game in order to be able to walk away from victories. But that being said, it's not impossible for them to do that. If they can play very similar to the way they played on Sunday, obviously not putting up the point totals, but being effective on both sides of the ball. The things that were really impressive to me about what the Patriots showed on Sunday wasn't necessarily them running up the score on a bad football team. It was taking chances, going for it on fourth down, all of a sudden giving Mac Jones the opportunity to make throws in the red zone, throwing his opponents, uh, excuse me, his opponents, throwing his uh, teammates open. Uh, you take a look at the touchdown to Hunter Henry. He threw Hunter open in that regard, and that's something that he did so well at Alabama. So those are the little things that it takes to win, and those are the little things that the Patriots were doing on Sunday. And their special teams, their offensive line play, their defensive line play were much more solid. 
when those things are clicking on all cylinders, it makes it so much easier for the Patriots' skill position players, especially on offense, to be able to put up those types of points or at least be in a position to put up those types of points. It's going to be a tough matchup. You guys are five-and-a-half-point underdogs to the Chargers, but I, I just never count out Bill Belichick because he's evil. He's concentrated <laughs> evil. And until we throw him into the fires of Mount Mord, like Mount Doom, it's never going to end. Like <laughs> That's it. He's, he's like the ring from Lord of the Rings. He's just eternal. He'll always be here driving everybody crazy until we find a way to get rid of him. Now, you guys are coming into this game. One question I have to ask before I let you go since we're just talking philosophy, I'm not going to ask you what you think about the upcoming game. Instead, I'm going to ask you this. There's been talk for weeks that Mac Jones deserves Offensive Rookie of the Year. Mostly because that's slanted towards quarterbacks when quarterbacks do well. Yet Jamar Chase is putting on a show for Cincinnati. He's literally carrying my fantasy team to victory every week. So... What do you th- what What do you think about that conversation? If you had to pick right now, would you say Mac Jones deserves it more than what Jamar? Who's doing the more spectacular things on a football field? Well, as much as I would love to give it to Mac, and believe me, there's a lot of Patriots fan inside me that would love to see this kid be able to pull that off because I know the hard work that he's put in in training camp and watching him go through progressions, getting a chance to get to know Mac a little bit has really been a joy this season, and I really love what I see from the kid. But I I don't know how you don't give it to Jamar Chase at this point. I mean, look at what he's doing in Cincinnati, uh, the numbers he's putting up, uh, the synergy that he's developed, uh, you know, reconnecting with Joe Burrow. Uh, That Bengals team right now is playing with a lot of swagger, a lot of confidence, and none of that happens without Jamar Chase being a member of that team. As much as I love Joe Burrow as a quarterback, and as much as I appreciate what Cincinnati's doing on both sides of the ball, Jamar Chase is the guy that makes that go. So right now, I give it to him. And I hate to say it, but I don't have to really think that hard about it. Uh, maybe Mac makes this a little bit more of, of, a, uh, of a run. Uh, I definitely say that if you're talking contenders, he's in the mix. He's definitely you know, in that short list of uh, uh, candidates that could possibly challenge Jamar for that right now, especially if there's a drop-off in the second half of the season. But at this point in time, I, I go with Jamar Chase in that. Look at you, consummate professional. I was just talking about it. You, I, I love you, Mike. I love you. I love the work that you do. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find your written work, your audio work, and where they can find you on social? Well, thank you, guys. Always appreciate the compliments. One of the big reasons why I love coming on with you guys. And, you know, you know your football, so what more can you guys support? Uh, you can definitely check me out on the Bird app at M-D-A-B-A-T-E-N-F-L. You can find all of my written work at Patriot Maven of Sports Illustrated. A lot of Chargers preview coming starting tomorrow. Uh, press conference recaps, all of that. Uh, we'll be on top of all the latest breaking news. And, of course, each and every day on the lock. On Patriots podcast, free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Are you finally ready to win money and boost your odds? WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. The excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. Get exclusive rewards right at your fingertips. Get in on the action with your favorite teams and players from the NFL, MLB, NHL, golf, MMA, WNBA, 
college football, and more. Right now at WinBet, you can find great promos, odds, and payouts from boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport. WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Offer subject to change. Terms and conditions at winbet.com must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And that brings us to the Buffalo Bills coming off the bye week. I'm going to open a fresh beer for this. <sighs> we got we had to sit on the sideline and watch all this happen. And honestly, Chris, it was a really crappy week of football. <laughs> it was a really crappy week of football. I mean, it sucks for me having the ability to watch all of the games. And yet, just a handful of truly watchable ones. Like, it was the worst bye week I've ever had. Because at least in the past, when I I had bye weeks, there were great games that I could tune into. I remember Jacksonville-Pittsburgh a few years ago, where I sat on the couch and I was like, there's no way this is going to go down to the final, final bell. It's, it's the rematch of the playoffs, and Jacksonville screws it up at the end. Pittsburgh limps away with a victory. It was crazy. There was none of that this week. I mean, look at Bengals-Ravens. That was a great football game. Yeah, we had that on at work in the break room. Lead changes, big touchdowns, flash plays, defensive stands on fourth down, two entertaining quarterbacks. It had everything a, a fan of good football might want. Chiefs versus Titans. I hate watched that hilarious disaster. (laughs) That was on the second TV while I was watching Cincy Baltimore. If you're a Bills fan, it was the car wreck of a game between those two teams you were looking for. The Chiefs sucked for 60 minutes. Patrick Mahomes gets knocked unconscious. And then the Titans score 24 points and then can only score three in the second half. They definitely took their they definitely took their foot off the gas there. A gut wrenching down to the wire game in Miami. The one o'clock hour was phenomenal, and then everything else about the day was dog shit. I mean, what Thursday night football was this low scoring? Yeah, running backs ran all over the place, and it was a dink and dunk festival. I was watching hockey on Thursday. I didn't know much the Thursday yeah. night game. Sunday night football. 
was one turnover and one flag after another to a degree that in the third quarter early, I turned it off. I didn't mind. Well, I watched that whole game. But I that, was just but, like, this is nonsense. But you're in a different spot than me. I can only watch one full game. Okay. So and that's, that's, that's Sunday night. And when I say... There's really technically only two games I can watch, Thursday night and Sunday night, because I don't have to work immediately the next day. I can have a cocktail and watch sports, which is the best. (laughs) So that Thursday night game sucked. Sunday night football sucked. Monday night football, it was literally single-handedly saved by the Manning cast. If it wasn't for Marshawn Lynch... Oh, he said, fuck. Oh, dude, dude, I love it. Like, as a journalism student who, like, I worked in the radio, and they drilled it into our heads. If you if you drop the word fuck on radio, there will be an immediate $10,000 fine to the college. Yeah, there's that, and then Eli giving the <laughs> finger. I don't know how they haven't been canceled yet. The Manning Cast is the best. It's the best Monday night TV you could ever ask for. It really is. That and Tom Brady just talking shit about every defensive player ever. He was just like, oh, yeah. He goes, sometimes you wonder. You're like, they're so athletic. Why can't we use them on this side of the ball? He goes, and then you step into those meeting rooms and you hear them and you go, oh, no, that's why. (laughs) (laughs) He just literally dunked on everybody who ever played defense ever. Rodney Harrison, are you still going to take the one knee approach and kiss that Tom Brady ass? (laughs) But watching that Monday Night Football game. Geno Smith threw an 84-yard touchdown pass to open the game and then hit 83 yards for the rest of the game. It's the most ridiculous thing that's ever happened in professional football. (laughs) There were eight teams that scored 13 points or fewer and six games where the margin of victory was 21 or more points. This all sucked. There was nothing worth watching, but the biggest development to come out of that quagmire was, as we discussed in the podcast we had kind of led the week off with, with Ryan Lacell of Rock Sports Network, is this muddled AFC picture at the top that has the Bills looking like one of the most well-rounded of the teams involved, and really, you hopefully, Bills fans take away from this the idea that where we finish isn't what's important, it's who we are, how healthy are we. What can we bring to the table? Because that's going to be the thing. For the first time in a long time, I don't even think that that bye week matters other than the the additional rest. It's all about matchups at this point. So it's interesting that with that in mind, the Bills are about to embark on what is essentially their divisional slate. I mean, they're the only AFC's team to have less than two games already under their belt within the division. The Patriots just swept the Jets. Miami's played us, and they're about to play us a second time. They also played the Patriots. <laughs> very different. Between their game against the Patriots and their game against us, very different outcomes. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, that was the derailment of their season. <sighs> when you look at this, Miami's a franchise in shambles, a defense that's a shadow of its former self, and a quarterback who's still trying to develop chemistry with his wide receivers. The, the Jets, they're a team that's likely going to be missing their quarterback with a PCL strain, meaning we'll be facing either Mike White or, if he's up to speed, Joe Flacco. 
Wait, do you hear that? No. Yeah, neither do I. There was supposed to be the applause from Jets fans over the idea of Joe Flacco starting from them. And New England, a team whose three and four record includes two wins against the Jets. Imagine being three and four and knowing that you played one of the worst teams in football. Yeah. Or or Denver's start to the season. Oh, hey, Denver 3-0. Well, you did beat the Jets, Giants, and Jaguars. Yeah. It's, That's nothing to write home about. <laughs> now, New England is the one that maybe could be dangerous, kind of as they illustrated against the Cowboys a couple weeks ago. But the reality is... It's hard to argue that the Bills aren't coming out of the bye pretty much exactly where you'd want them to be, short of that Monday Night Football loss. You beat the Kansas City Chiefs. You did the thing. You slayed the dragon that you thought. You know, Bruce Nolan of the Bruce Exclusive had a great, a great quote in his in his post game podcast about the Chiefs. And he said that the thing that the, this team did best in that scenario is that they didn't let the boogeyman become the boogeyman. The Patriots were our boogeyman for forever because we allowed them to continue stealing games from us, to continue out coaching us, out playing us. Instead, we went and said, hey, fuck you. We've had enough. We remember last year and we're going to put one on you. Because of this, to end that narrative, not only on the outside, but also inside our locker room. You remember before that game, Emmanuel Sanders talked about how he could tell there were some bruised egos. He talked about how, he, as, a, as a veteran player, he, he's like, I feel the hurt from that last Kansas City game. I can see that it still kind of hangs over this team. Well, instead of allowing that to become baggage, they exercise those demons. <laughs> You've done that. You've done the thing. And then you lost on a last-second play, where I still argue you didn't lose, you just ran out of time to the Tennessee Titans. And now you get to start a slate in your own division where you're a wounded New York Jets, a rudderless Miami Dolphins this week. You get a Jacksonville team that just won its first game in more than a calendar year! (laughs) Considering the... Considering that we're 4-0 coming off a bye under Sean McDermott and a 13-and-a-half-point favorite against a team on the ropes that has never played well in Buffalo, no one can be unhappy with where the Bills are philosophically. So instead, let's all just, I don't know, light a cigarette, light a cigar, light a spliff, whatever you have in your hand. Pour something nice on the rocks and settle in as the Bills kick off the back half of their schedule against some absolute punching bags over the next month of football. Chris, I've had fun tonight. What about you? Love it. All right. We're going to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been your AFC's Roundup. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.